0: Hey everybody, it's Keith. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Medicine Words. I'm here with my co-creator and my beautiful nephew, Ryan. How you doing, Ryan?
1: I'm doing very well. Thanks, Onk. Happy, light, and love. How are you doing this afternoon?
0: I'm doing great. Yeah. It's a beautiful day here in Colorado. It's gorgeous. It's sunny. It's uh, We yeah. are so privileged. Absolutely. I know you're anticipating the game this afternoon. That's a good thing. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> what is that all about? That's right. You know. That's right. Well, good. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm excited. I'm a sports guy. So, you know, I like watching basketball and football and baseball and everything. So, right. There's a playoff game. And I'm, yeah, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. That's cool. It keeps yeah, you going. Absolutely. Keeps going. That's good.
0: It's good. Yeah. Something to look forward to on your nice weekend. You work hard. You deserve it.
1: Yeah, actually, it is. You're right. Right, right, it is. Right. It's a way to relax, I guess. Correct. And, and you know, be a potato. or yeah, couch, couch potato. potato. Yeah. That's right. Be a potato. <laughs> or
0: if you want to be a potato, yeah, pretend a potato. you're a potato. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. All right. All right. You know, I really want to thank all the people out there worldwide that has made Medicine Word such a huge success. Now, success to me is that we are touching a lot of people's lives all over the world, and perhaps that they can take what we're doing here and it makes their life a little bit better place. In other words, I think that we as human beings are trying to heal, trying to be better, trying to, you know, be in a place where we are happy, where we're joyful. We have a spiritual body, our souls. We have an emotional body. We have an intellectual body. We have a physical body. All this is what comprises us as a human being. So throughout our podcast as Medicine Words, we have tried to present a variety of healing modalities. We have different aspects of how to heal your mind, how to heal your emotions, and how to heal your soul, how to, to rise your vibration with love and light. Today, I am so excited because we have a medical doctor who is profound in the research of stem cell research today.
1: Very interesting. I have no idea or clue about anything about it. I've j- I just heard stuff here and there. Don't even know if it's really true. Honestly,
0: I know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's a fascinating subject. My mother, uh, she was injured, and so they uh, put stem cells in her, and it yeah. was amazing what it did to wow. her. But I have no idea. You know, it's. I think that's what the miracle of life is. We human beings have this a uh, this physical body, and very few of us know what it's about or how it works. Yeah, you don't know absolutely. how your liver works. Right? You don't know how your eye works. You don't know how your immune system's working, but you're just thankful that that you that, that it works, does, yeah. right? We we go through procreation and have a baby. You don't very few people know how all even that works. And right? some of the things that we think is the way it works, it doesn't. But anyway, today I'd like to introduce uh a gentleman who I have high respect for. He is a medical doctor and he works tireless, tirelessly. To do research in the stem cell modality and also has a wife and children. So he's a very busy man here in Denver, Colorado. His name is Rajiv. How are you, Rajiv?
2: I'm doing great, thanks.
0: Rajiv, thank you so much for joining us here on Medicine Words. Uh, Ryan and I are so grateful to have you here. Now, I would like to know about the stem cell research and what it actually entails. So without further ado, I'm just going to let you. Fill us in on on this fascinating science, medical technology, medical sense of stem cells.
2: Thanks, Keith. So yeah, uh, stem cells is a a fascinating field, Um, and really, you know, I think the most important thing is to think about what do we mean when we say stem cells, because I think that's probably the crux of 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 what people think. So most of us, when we think stem cells, we think of embryos, we think of of developing humans or or developing organisms of any kind, really. but but stem cells actually are a wide variety of cells. And really, the word stem cell basically means that it's a cell in a body that has the capacity to make a bunch of other cells. And so, for example, your skin cells are terminally differentiated. They don't have the capacity to make other cells. But your stem cells could make skin cells. They could make nerve cells. It could make a whole bunch of other kinds of cells. And so, when we talk about Um, stem cells. What we're really talking about is the cellular capacity for that cell to become and differentiate into many other tissues. Um, And so, you know, in that context, stem cells have been used for medical therapy for decades, just not necessarily the kinds of stem cells that we think about today, which is sort of the real early or progenitor stem cells that can make entire organisms. But we have been using stem cells that can grow into all kinds of things for um, many, many years. Um, you know, the, the the most common thing that probably most people may not even really think about is, is uh, uh, patients who undergo bone marrow transplant. So if you go undergo bone marrow transplant, if you have leukemia or some other kind of cancer, you get chemotherapy and you go bone marrow transplant, we're basically putting in stem cells, right? Except that those are um, what we call hematopoietic stem cells or blood progenitors. And when we replace those into patients... Um, those progenitors or those stem cells can become all of the lineages of the blood that are necessary for a human to survive. Um, but those cells can't become other tissues. They can only become all the different cell types that occur in the blood. So they are stem cells, but they're not as early stem cells as other cells that could potentially become lots of other different things. So we've been doing bone marrow transplants for you know decades, since the 60s. And, and, and so we've been using stem cells and trying to understand how stem cells work um, since then. Um, in that in that particular context, um, so I think that that's sort of the most important thing is to kind of think about what do we think about when we uh, talk about stem cells. Um, the the you know really the sort of the the big thing is when 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 organisms start to develop and you have the very earliest embryos, um, those are basically all full of stem cells because you have no t- no mature tissue. So those are the cells that then can become. Any kind of cell in your body, and there's a whole lot of biological cues um, that that occur as as a as an embryo develops into fetus and then into human that's born. Um, and as those biological cues trigger those cells, they take they go from being stem cells to being sort of later stage stem cells that are lineage committed, as we call them, which basically means that you have a set of cells that go from early stem cells to um, becoming all cells that could be neurons, and all cells that could be blood, and all cells that could be the liver. So they get committed to a particular type of tissue, but they're still not completely differentiated. And then as you grow, those sort of committed stem cells then start to mature into all of the final mature cells that you need. So that's sort of the, the context in how we use, uh, how stem cells are, are used. And so the the fascinating thing about that is, we're understanding how stem cells work, and that work is going on um, as we speak, um, and, and, and stem cells are a very complex system because we, as we understand it, you have these early cells and how do they become mature cells? That's an entirely new process that we have to, to understand. And the molecular mechanisms that drive that are obviously very complex. And there's amazing scientists all over the world, um, that are, that are, um, studying that. Um, so, so that I think is sort of the, the, the big picture of how, how things work. And, and in our, In a a human being, there are different organs that have different capacities to act as stem cells. So, for example, your liver actually has a much higher capacity, liver cells have a much higher capacity to act as stem cells um, because you can take out a person's half a person's liver, and it will regrow. But you couldn't take out, you know, half a person's um, kidney, the kidney will not regrow. Um, So... So there are some organs that have the capacity to, you know, has progenitor cells to grow back. And then some that don't, your gut, for example, has a lot of progenitor cells. So you slough your gut, um, you know, every month, you lose all of the lining of your gut um, slowly over time, but um, the progenitor cells that are in your gut come back up and, and, and form and form the lining of your gut. Again, same thing with your hair, right? Your hair follicles are essentially stem cells. So about every three months, um you lose all your hair people may or may not notice it or people often will say you know you see a lot of hair in your in your in your bathtub um every few months and that's because those follicles have matured out and and your hair falls out and then your new hair follicles which are stem cells but can only make hair um grow back out and and make mature hair so our body is continuously continuously renewing and that renewal capacity obviously is great in, you know, in, in, in kids and newborns. And as we age, that renewal capacity decreases over time um, as your cells become less and less able to renew. And I think that that is sort of the context in which um, how do we use stem cells to maybe help that renewal occur? Um, same for injuries, for 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 organs that are failing, things like that. I think that is sort of the context in one context in which stem cells um, can be used for for medical uh, from a medical treatment perspective obviously the other context is patients who have genetic diseases so if you have a genetic disease and you're born with an inborn inborn error of whatever kind you know that your genes are are abnormal but you could use stem cells with, with normal genes to recreate whatever part of the body it is that's not functioning because you have a genetic defect. And so that's another area of sort of application of stem cells into uh, into into medicine and into, into people um, that really works um, well. And then, you know, the third sort of major category I talked about was the fact that we use when, as medical doctors, we treat patients with toxic drugs that then kill off your own stem cells, then we can replace those stem cells in the case of a bone marrow transplant. Hmm. Um, and so we intentionally do that because we're giving really high doses of chemotherapy to treat a cancer. But we know that's going to kill off your bone marrow stem cells. So we then harvest your stem cells before we give you the chemotherapy. After the chemotherapy, replace your bone marrow with with new bone marrow or with donor bone marrow, depending on how we do it. And so replace stem cells that way. So those are sort of the big categories of how, how things uh, work.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I'd love to hear you speak. I mean, because of the knowledge you have and also the like the leading edge of – technology that, that is this stem cell research. And thank you for the clarity because, you know, Ryan and I were talking before the interview and years ago it was like this huge controversy. It's like, you know, you're killing these babies and so forth and I didn't know that much about it and I'm still – I'm totally ignorant. I know nothing about stem cells. But I find it interesting as far as the clarity about that. Now, in my world, in, it's, I would love to see everybody healthy. I would love to see everybody healthy and happy and with no pain whatsoever. And so what you're talking about is the the medicine that could actually help people like you said there's an injury that can can be healed or a genetic uh, birth defect or something. But I have some questions and they might be crazy, but you know I think a lot of viewers think would are a lot of our listeners would say the same thing. So the ethical application of stem cells would be that it is to help the other person heal and it's not, uh, so what do you think about the ethics of, of the stem cells?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, 10 years ago, the ethics were a lot more complicated, um, because, um, our source of stem cells was really, um, of, of your, sort of your true stem cells that could become anything, um, was really limited to embryos. And that was the, that was a major ethical dilemma of whether you can harvest stem cells or not. Um, here in the United States, for example, um, that was a source of stem cells to do the research and understand what was going on, and, and that was majorly controversial, and the, the federal government has gone back and forth in allowing us to do research or not do research on, on embryonic derived stem cells. So it was, it was, a, it was really complicated. Um, today, it's a lot less complicated because we have a different source of stem cells. And what um, um, there were several uh, researchers about 10 years ago, um, and and the Japanese who actually led the way in this, um, that allowed us to understand that we could reprogram cells from another part of the body that were differentiated and didn't have the capacity to be stem cells. We could reprogram that by putting in certain genes to become stem cells. So now I can take a mature skin cell and reprogram it to become a stem cell. Oh, wow. So I don't have to worry about embryos. I don't have to worry about any of those things. So the ethical components of using stem cells for medical therapy, I think, are are decreasing because we can source stem cells differently. And in fact, by reprogramming stem cells, we can reprogram them to do the kinds of things we want them to do. So it becomes actually a little bit easier. So – um, from a treatment perspective or use of cells perspective, using embryonic stem cells is becoming less and less and use of what we call induced pluripotent stem cells or IPS cells, um, which is these reprogrammed cells is becoming more and more uh, common. So the ethics have, have kind of shifted because I can take a skin biopsy from you and reprogram those cells to become stem cells and then use those cells, for example. Um, so it's it's becoming a little bit easier. It's not perfect because even the induced pluripotent stem cells are not completely the same, obviously, as as embryonic stem cells. So there are certainly some questions there. Um, But for most medical applications, they're sufficient. Um, But from a research perspective, they're not completely sufficient. We still need to really understand how organogenesis occurs. You sometimes still need to use embryonic stem cells.
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense to me, and, and you operate with such eloquence, and it's the intelligence you have, your logical mind, you're a scientist, and you understand all these things, which I do not. Now, I also have a healing practice, but I operate from a practice of love and light. Like a shaman or a light worker, I operate from the soul, and I give love and light to that person, and I can see what is the the issues or the problems in the person's soul so that their soul can become more at ease with the ease of the soul then their emotional body is more at ease, their physical body is more at ease, and so that releases the disease of the mind, body, and soul. Okay, that being said, my practice is always that I do not cause harm, cause no harm. So I do not cause harm to anyone, I do not cause harm to myself, and I do not allow anyone to cause harm to me. So that's more of a shamanistic viewpoint. Now, we're all in this together and so everything is valuable. It's like, you know, the orchestra takes many pieces and so you're operating from these stem cells, which I find very fascinating. So that being said, you could be a medical doctor and you could start going into some really bizarre things, you know. Um, as far as like healing. For one thing I was wondering if if you're going into these these healing modalities and, and you let's say you get to the point where you're healing all these diseases and so forth, Rajiv, I don't want to live forever. I don't want to be trapped in physical form. Uh, we, I think the the philosophical, spiritual philosophy you grew up in, and also I believe, I don't want to be in, trapped in the reincarnational cycle forever and ever. I don't want to be four hundred years old. I'm not looking for immort- immortality. Reincarnation is finite, and I want to get off the reincarnational cycle. So, but during the process, I'd sure like my back to stop hurting. I'd sure like my my body to be in in a perfect state. So. You, you're talking about these stem cells. I'm I'm just in awe of it. But on the other hand, you're kind of like going, well, I'm kind of in awe of it. Does that make sense? So what about yeah,
2: absolutely. that? Absolutely. No, I think that um, as, as medicine stands today, um, the first thing you mentioned um, uh, for the use of stem cells, you know, to help your back hurt less or help your kidney function a little bit better, that's kind of pretty much where we are. Um, the idea that we can kind of infinitely regenerate our physical body is still probably stuff of science fiction. Um, and from a, even from the current medical technology and even as fast as it is moving, um, you know, I don't think at least in our lifetimes, that's going to be ever be a reality. So um, I think that the use of, of stem cells, induced pluripotent stem cells um, is, is much more about that, about trying to make things function better, about trying to understand how we can, Fixed genetic problems that that inborn errors that children are born with those kinds of things I think that's sort of the realistic realm of how things work right now. Um, the idea that we can infinitely replenish is probably not at least not anytime soon going to be uh, realistic. You know, in a, in a hundred years, who knows? But at least for now, that's that's certainly not what most most even most researchers, scientists, physicians think about.
0: That's good to know. That's good to know. Now, another thing, let's take a a little bit of, a, like you said, science fiction, maybe into the, you know, horror part of it. Some of the things I've heard through my life is, you know, these... The, and it's abhorrent. But, I mean, you, you hear about people's kidneys being harvested and, you know, kidnapped just for their kidneys and so forth. So I'm sure you're not involved in that. But as far as the stem cell research, could we do that or could there be this warehouse where there's all these people just for their stem cells? I've heard some of the – like a, a child is born in a family and they have another child to be the replacement stem cells of that other child. It's like they had a spare part. So, yeah. you know, and then you – uh as far as like these superhumans, okay. So I want this guy to be like Ryan likes his his sports. So you start genetically de- de- designing something. I don't know if that's your realm or not, but you know, it, you, you, yeah. your mind can kind of get caught up in that.
2: And the, yeah, and and so, some of that is real, and some of that is, is not not so much. So um, from a from a stem cell perspective, so, so the stem cells will actually help alleviate some of those issues about organ harvesting and so on because i think we're getting to the point where we're starting to be able to make mini organs from stem cells and um, still not fully functioning things not like i can give you a kidney transplant with a uh, stem cell in, a stem cell derived kidney for example that's we're not there yet but we're headed that way and i think that that's realistic and that doesn't require me to harvest it from anybody other than you i oh, can wow. like i said i can take i can take your skin or your other tissue that i think is healthy and and then you know reprogram it to do what I needed to do and make it into a kidney, and that's really what the research is about. How do we make these stem cells into functioning organs, or at least partially functioning tissues that can you know be used to augment normal functioning? So I think that that's where we are. So that 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 sort of you know medical history, which is very real of people who who have you know been taken advantage of to have their organs harvested, um, is is very real from a historical perspective. But this will actually help take away from that because you're not necessarily going to need that as much if we get to the point where we can truly make organs from these stem cells. We're not there yet, um, but the science is moving fast and we're able to now make tissues that can sort of add to your organ. We can't completely make a whole new organ yet. There have been some examples of people describing that, but we're, we're a ways away from that. But not that far away. We are, you know, kind of kind that science is, is growing. Um, so I think that that's uh, one thing. The other thing that you mentioned which is sort of the major ethical dilemma and there was actually a case not too long ago in china of of this very particular scenario um which is that because of the technology that we've developed to try to understand these stem cells and the fact that we can modify and reprogram these stem cells really you know it's sort of the 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 issue um it kind of is the same context for example as you know developing nuclear power, well, there's a good to it, but there's also a significant bad to it and it's the same thing with um stem cells now that we know how to manipulate them and how to reprogram them, you can actually say, "I'm going to make a child with blue eyes, blonde hair, and you know whatever and you can do that you we now know how to do that, so you could potentially program embryos to do that and there was a case in China not too long ago where somebody did actually do that. Um, for certain characteristics. So, um, in the U.S., it's ethically banned. In in the, in the, in the European Union, it's ethically banned. Most countries in the world have ethically, in India, um, most major, majority of the countries in the world have banned it. And there's an international organization that, um, oversees all of this and, and it is banned everywhere. Um, it is actually technically legally banned in China as well, of course. Um, so, but that, so that is the ethical issue. We, we have the technology to do that if, you know, we let our ethics slide. And that's why we have this, sort of na- international watchdog and lots of national watchdogs that really make sure that we're not creating designer babies because that is really that we are we're, we have the technology to do that if we wanted to.
0: Oh, that's, that's scary, but it's a miracle at the same time. And as you said, it's like any other power. Any other power, it can be used for good or bad. It can be used for good or evil. And, it, and it's even, like you said, nuclear power or energy or fire, Fire can yeah. cook your food. It can heat your house. It can also burn your house down and kill you. It's, it is the power of love. Love, um, and even the power of the word, that's what I've always said on Medicine Words. The reason I call this podcast Medicine Words is because we as human beings have the power to use love and speak well and heal each other and affect people in a healing way. We also have the ability to use poison words and we can infect people and hurt or kill them. So it is – it's a call that each individual has to make a decision that they're going to be ethical. They're going to live their life in such a way. Personally, I have this belief that gives me absolute hope and it's not even a belief. It's a knowledge. I do believe that the power of love is the only power on this planet and that's high beyond what, what what humans could possibly comprehend. And so there is beyond the human realm. Watchdogs, angels, light, whatever you want to describe it, God, deity, whatever that does keep a watch over this, so there is a there's also universal laws, one of which is negativity has borne with it the seeds of its own destruction, so if you 're an individual that's going to create some superhuman race and it 's not ethical, I believe that would you would be you would not be allowed to do that one of the directions yeah, I, I, I- Oh, well, go
2: ahead. Yeah, and, and that and that's absolutely true. I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those things as 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 a scientist, for me personally, obviously, for example, you know, when we study some of these things, and I study stem cells in the context of cancer, and we can talk about how that works in a little bit. But um, you know, um, the goal of of my all my colleagues and, and and is really how do we how can we use this to make people's lives better, right? So that's that's the context in which most most people in the world, um, most researchers in the world, most physicians in the world, all over the world think of these things is how do we use these these cells for the good of humanity to help alleviate pain, to help alleviate um, suffering from, from diseases, to help alleviate p- um, illnesses from kids that are born with genetic disorders, things like that.
0: I agree. I also think that no matter what you're doing, whether you're doing stem cell research, whether you're a shaman, a dentist, whatever, if you go into it, like you said, with good intent that you're there to help people, then the universe helps you help those around you. But after a while, if you go into your ego or you start doing it for money or nefarious means, you're pretty much going to be popped out pretty much. It's it's whatever, even a corporation or whatever. But I do want to ask a question. We talk about stem cells and we talk, talk about it in the context of healing. There's always this ignorance that we have. For example, if you look throughout history as far as the, the medical doctors, uh, before years ago, if a person was having an epileptic seizure, it was the people would – kill them because they thought they were possessed by the devil. Um, if people would have a rash, they would run. I mean, it was there was not sometimes a lot of compassion when it comes to people's medical problems, their physical, their physical problems, their dis-ease, and so forth. Sometimes, even like mental illness, people will describe that as a breakdown and people will run. But a lot of times the spiritualists will talk about that as a breakthrough. So I'm only 61 years old. And the medical advancements that I have seen so far is astounding. My family has a lot of cancer in it as well. So I'm fascinated about this cancer research you're doing because uh, my mother's had uh, – well, she's one of like 14 kids and all of them have died. Most of them have died of cancer and heart attacks. So when you talk about the cancer and the research that it can do, I'd love you to address how your research and the stem cells it's going to affect cancer.
2: Sure. So this is, this is the flip side, like we just talked about, right? Every, everything has a good and and a bad, right? There's the yin and the yang. So with stem cells, there's the same thing. So in most cancers, there, there are stem cells and those cancer stem cells, which are stem cells that have become cancerous, um, are the ones that are u- are usually the most difficult to kill with whatever treatments you use. Those are the ones that usually cause recurrence of those cancers. Those are the ones that hide away after treatment and then eventually cause you to relapse that progress to become metastatic to go from, you know, from your breast to your lung, et cetera. And so those cancer stem cells are really the, you know, in, in, in simplistic ways, sort of the root of the evil of, of cancer. And we can kill 97% of a cancer, but it's that 3% or 2% that's hiding, that's the more stem cell-like part of the cancer that's impossible or really hard to kill that then becomes the, the, the problem. And so a lot of the research I do and a lot of research that many of the cancer researchers around the world are doing is trying to understand how cancer stem cells work and how can we target cancer stem cells because that's really, if we can't kill the cancer stem cells then we really can't cure cancer per se. So, so my work is actually on the, completely on the flip side, rather than using stem cells for therapeutic purposes, my, I'm trying to understand how cancer stem cells cause cancer um, and how we can target those cancer stem cells and kill the cancer stem cells.
0: Oh, wow. So is cancer, uh, is it just like radical cells that are in the physical body? Like I heard once so we all have cancer cells or we all have these radical cells. It just depends on which ones turn into cancer.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so that, that's true. So we have cells in our body. So one of the issues, so sort of on a, on a sort of a global level, the way cancer starts, right, is that we have cells in our body starting with stem cells, um, that need to grow into whatever mature tissue, say, say your liver. So you've got, you've got cells that then are become liver stem cells and then they're supposed to form all the various components of the liver. So you have lots of genes. Um, you know, we have about 28,000 genes in our body that are in any given cell. Um, But they're not all on at a a time. So um, some cells are on and some cells are off, depending on what cues they're getting on what kind of tissue they need to become. And, and, um, and for, for cells that are multiplying and are stem cells that are then going to multiply into these different or different tissues, um, you have genes that are accelerators to make them grow, so that when you're a child, for example, you're growing your liver. But then when your liver is at the normal size, you need you need genes that are brakes to stop this whole growth process. And when you have an abnormal balance and either the brakes are cut and then this accelerator is on and the cells keep going, that's when you get cancer or the flip side sometimes happens, where the accelerator just gets amplified, and then the cells just keep going, and that's when you get cancer. So that's sort of the, the process of what happens. And the stem cells are the ones that harbor these mutations, um, and oftentimes what they do is these cancer stem cells become dormant. So when you're doing therapy, um, you're killing the vast majority of, can- of cancer cells that are multiplying, because that and that's what's causing the problem, but the cancer stem cells become dormant, and they just basically hide. So you, the chemotherapy we use, or the radiation, or whatever other treatments we use, um, from a medical perspective, um, they target all the cells that are multiplying rapidly, but they don't target the dormant cells. And the stem cells become dormant, and then once you've killed off all the multiplying cells, these dormant cells, because they're stem cells, have the ability to make all these new cancer stem cells again, all these new cancer cells again, and then you get a whole new cancer again. So that's that's kind of the the, the idea of trying to target these cancer stem cells is trying to understand. How do they become dormant? What are they doing when they become dormant? And how can we kill these dormant cells, which is different from trying to kill the rapidly multiplying cancer cells?
0: Wow, that's fascinating. That's very fascinating. So do you think that there can actually be like a cure of cancer through to the stem cells or other modalities of medical science?
2: I do. I mean, I think the important thing for me as we look at it is, is that um, – there's never going to be sort of a cure for cancer. But what there is going to be is there's going to be individual cures for different cancers because we are understanding how all these different cancers, whether it's lung cancer versus breast cancer versus brain cancer. And even in the brain, there's, you know, which is what I mainly study. um, There's lots of different kinds of brain cancers. Each one has its own set of genetic mutations, its own set of genes that are abnormal, its own set of ways that it grows. And so understanding how that works, we'll be able to develop treatments, that target individual cancers. And we've already done that. There's already treatments that started about 25 years ago with certain kinds of leukemia where we understood what the specific mutation was, and then a drug was developed to target that particular kind of cancer, and it's been super successful. Um, We're starting to develop treatments targeting individual cancers by all of this research, both in the global cancer as well as the cancer stem cells um, to try to specifically target cancer. So that's sort of one aspect of it. I think the, the treatment side of it, using stem cells in treatment, I think the kinds of places where it's really in the next, say, 15 years, where it's really going to um, be applicable from a physical perspective is um, use of injuries, um, use to help uh, recover from injuries. So, for example, say a patient has a stroke um, and then you've damaged a part of your brain, we could potentially use neural stem cells to try to regenerate some of that brain that was damaged from a stroke. Um, so there's a lot of research going on in that field. And I think it's getting closer and closer to applica. It's not there yet for in terms of you can't go out and get can neural stem cells to, to fix a stroke yet. But we're getting closer and closer to that aspect of it, for example. Or, for example, Alzheimer's, where we're where neuro- certain neurons, certain types of neurons die because of the mutations that occur in Alzheimer's. Um, and so maybe trying to replace those neurons with fresh neural stem cells because you know once you once you become an adult once you get past about 10 your brain is done um, growing new tissue and so so then you know that's why kids learn amazingly well but once you get to about 10 your brain is pretty much hardwired wow. and there's, not, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of stem cell activity in in, in, in mature brains there is but uh, because you're forming new memories so that's part of new neural stem cells that are forming new memories right so you certainly have that but but the vast majority of it is done but we could potentially replace damaged parts of the brain with neural stem cells. Um, similarly, for example, if you have, um, you know, injuries, um, like you said, your back, you have injuries say so you you tear your ACL or some other muscle, um, there are, you know, mesenchymal stem cells that are being used, which is muscle related stem cells um, that potentially could help regrow tendons or muscles. So that kind of work is ongoing. Um, research is ongoing. And then research in the lab to say okay we know that if you tear an ACL how are we going to fix that well maybe we can regenerate new tendons in the lab and then re- transplant those tendons so that kind of research is going on to say can we take stem cells and grow parts of new tissues we can't really grow whole organs yet but we can grow parts of tissues that we could then potentially transplant back into the body so, so that way we could we could regenerate you know parts of your parts of your body that might be injured
0: That's absolutely fascinating when when my mother, she had a uh, a foot that was broken due to neuropathy because of diabetes, and and so there was all these surgeries that were done. There was pins put in it and so forth. It healed, and then it opened up again, and the process was that they put stem cells on it, and I thought they'd mm-hmm. have to be surgeries, like, I don't know how, but they just put like this pad on it that had stem cells in it. Could you explain yeah. that the application of the technique by which you're, because yeah. I thought it'd so, have to be a surgery.
2: Yeah absolutely so so you know again because stem cells are sort of this large category you have all these different types of stem cells so you know uh, um that what you're describing sounds almost to me like they maybe applied mesenchymal stem cells so these are cells that make sort of your outer layers of your body right so your, your muscles your your skin your your ligaments all those kinds of things so you you know stem cells again they're very hardy which is why on the cancer side they're harder to kill but they can be pretty hardy so you can actually if you have an open wound For example, you could apply stem cells and that allow, because that's what happens, right? When a wound heals, it's your stem cells, your skin and muscle stem cells that are are regenerating to heal a wound, right? I mean, that is the process by which a a wound will heal normally. So by providing the cells that are required, so if you the, the more you age, the fewer cells you have. That's why wounds take longer to heal in adults and, and in older people compared to younger people, for example. Um That's why athletes say, yeah, if you're 25 and you tear an ACL, you'll be back in seven months. If you're 35 and you tear an ACL, well, it might be a year and a half before you get back because it's just the, the healing process, the physical healing process is, is so much slower because our, we just don't have the same level of, of regeneration capacity. So these kinds of stem cells, can provide that boost in, in the regeneration capacity. So you can regenerate that wound or heal that wound a little bit faster because now you're providing the cells exogenously rather than waiting for your own body to create or or use their, whatever reservoir is left to, to generate the cells.
0: Wow. So when she had that application, it wasn't taken from her body. Would it be taken from another human being, a cadaver, or just were they created... How yeah, did, where did they come from? Yeah,
2: I don't know. I mean, probably they, th- so nowadays we can make, you know, we, we can grow and make stem cells in the lab, right? So we can grow these things. So, you know, the initial thing could be a biopsy that came from me or you or whoever, and then you can take those cells and you can regenerate them. For the most part, they work okay. I mean, there are um, lots of things that we think about, right? Some In some aspects, you can use anybody's stem cells and you don't have to worry about the immune reactions because that's really what we worry about, right? When you go from person to person, your your immune system is completely different from your mother's um you're 50 percent the same but but only 50 percent the same so if you were to give her stem cells or or bone marrow for example she would react to it and you would need to suppress her immune system in order for her to be, be able to take your your bone marrow so you see if you're donating bone marrow to her so stem cells are not you know each each individual has a unique genetic makeup that'll that drives a, your immune system and you can have immune reactions um which is why, for example, when we do organ transplants of any kind, kidneys or whatever, um, you have to immune suppress people. Um, stem cells are a little bit better because they have l- less of an immune um, trigger because they're, they're early cells. So they don't, they haven't created, the, the genes haven't all been activated that create that immune reaction. So that's why stem cells are preferable in some ways because you can get away with some of those things. And then where you apply it matters too. So if you apply it on the exterior of your body, so a wound or superficial, you're less likely to have an immune reaction because, because, um, again, because the, the stem cells are less immunogenic and you're applying them exogenously. There's less likely reaction. If you were to give somebody, you know, stem cells internally, for some reason, you would have to worry about the immune system. If it wasn't from that person, um, directly.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. We're going to take a little break. Uh, and when we get back, we're going to further this interview with stem, about stem cells. Fascinating with Rashif. Welcome back to this exciting episode about stem cell research. And we have with us Dr. Rajiv. Fascinating uh, interview. Rajiv, I'd like to ask a question. I saw on the Discovery Channel two things. Number one was about the genome, and I don't understand that, but I found it very fascinating. And I do believe that's in your expertise. Another thing I was uh, fascinated about is that in science, the DNA there's the DNA helix, and apparently there's like sisters or there's two DNA helix, so if there's damage to part of that uh, helix, the other one then asks permission almost like says, "Can I get a, a replicate uh, like a copy of this particular section of the DNA?" And by doing so, that repairs my physical body. Now, this is beyond what I can possibly comprehend. My brain is just not wired this way, Rajiv. So, if you could, and I know a lot of our view, a lot of our listeners, uh, you know, their brain isn't wired this way either. So, could you expand on that fascinating concept? Uh,
2: sh- sure. So that's sort of a whole, you know probably a whole another hour's worth of discussion if you want. Um, <laughs> but the, 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 G, the genome is, is fascinating, right? So this is basically what makes us unique, right? So we each have um, DNA, and the DNA makes is composed of all of our genes that make us who we are, right? Whether we're tall or short, fat or skinny, what a colorized. All of that stuff is coded in the DNA of, of our genome. Um, our genome replicates in every cell, um, as a cell multiplies, and that replication is the crux of all of the, the, the issues that we talk about relative to cancer. Because if you think about any, any factory, any, any sort of assembly line, right, when you're making, say, a 1,000 cars, there's going to be errors no matter what you do. There's a rate of error in there. It's the same thing with your genome. You're replicating DNA. There, you're replicating DNA hundreds of millions of times in a given cell every day. So there is going to be a rate of error of that replication occurring. And when that error occurs, um, the vast majority of the time, the cell has an entire machinery in there that allows it to repair that error. So if one or two of the pieces of DNA came in wrong or didn't get attached the way they were supposed to or the location they were supposed to, you have this error. So DNA is the double helix, as you mentioned, which means there's two complementary strands of DNA that wind around each other. So they're complementary. So if you have an A on one side, you have a T on the other side. These are just the base pairs that make up DNA. So they're complementary. So if one side is broken, it can use the template from the complementary side to repair itself. So that's what you were talking about, how the, the, the sister chromatids work essentially. So that's sort of the very sort of um, simplistic way of looking at it. It actually gets very complicated very quickly, but essentially that's what's happening. So you have these these complementary strands of DNA that can use, be used as templates for each other to repair each other. And when that repair does not occur, That's when a mutation happens, and then when you have a mutation, that's when you have a cancer, or sometimes some sort of genetic disease, um, you know, um, blindness, or or um, you can have, you know, um, Lou Gehrig's disease, or any of these kinds of things that happen because of a mutation that occurred because that repair did not occur the way it should have occurred in the gene that regulates that process. So that's sort of the big picture of how. The DNA gene repair occurs and and the, the, a lot of the DNA repair that occurs in, in stem cells regulates a lot of how these work so you know what you can take so if somebody has for example and actually I should take a step back and say that stem cell um, stem cells as treatment is in its early 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 infancy so um, while there's been a significant amount of hype from a medical perspective, really the only stem cell therapy that we have good expertise with and we know works well is bone marrow transplants. Um, Outside of that, all of the other kinds of stem cell therapies that are touted around the world, and there's lots of them, most of them have not very much evidence or data as to how they work, why they work, if they work. So, you know, we're talking about, unfortunately, in the stem cell world, what has happened is that um and maybe this is a scientist in me speaking but what has happened is that the the um the hype has outpaced the reality of what mm. can or can't be done or what we understand about what happens and so Um, It's difficult. So we know from a research perspective that people are studying how do we apply stem cells to strokes, um, or how do we apply it for patients with uh, Alzheimer's, or how do we apply for patients who have Lou Gehrig's disease, um, or to regenerate spinal cord injuries. Um, But those are all at very early sort of research stages of, of doing it. So you can't call up your local clinic and say, "Hey, I've got you know a spinal cord injury. I want to come in for a stem cell treatment." It, it's not quite there. Now there are clinics around the world that tout that, but I'm not really sure what it is that they're actually doing.
0: Hmm, that's fascinating. Fascinating. The reason I asked that question is because oh a while back, uh, I unfortunately I went blind in one eye, and so I had a, a macular hole, I had mm-hmm. a vitreous tear, and I had a uh, actually, it was a, a retina detachment as well, so all three at the same time. So, thankfully, I, I was in the hands of incredible doctors—a ret- a retinologist and a, uh, uh, an ophthalmologist—and as we were going through the procedure of the surgeries and the vitrectomies and so forth, and they, I, I could, I was so in awe of their knowledge in regards to the way that they were healing me, the way that they were their 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 technical expertise, going inside my eye, doing the surgery and so forth. But I also got this feeling that it was up to me to heal. And I, I do believe that the human being can heal itself. I do believe that we as human beings are we have the ability to heal ourselves by not injuring ourselves, by self-care and so forth. So through this process of of healing and becoming sighted again I absolutely made sure that I was going to become sighted. In other words, where was the future Keith that could see out of this eye? Now, this was years ago, five, six, seven years ago, but today I have 20, 30 out of that eye instead of twenty twenty, and I see perfectly. All right, so here is what was happening. During the process of of healing, I went into my spiritual self, and I did exactly what the doctor said, but more importantly, I went into my higher self, my relationship to the divine, and whatever it was that I needed to heal, and I could see, and I'd never heard of this before, but I had this feeling that a part of my soul or part of my body or something was literally like taking like a redundancy that's what it felt like like there was this redundancy that whatever was damaged on the one part was being was being healed by a redundancy um that this was like it was it was an amazing spiritual experience because it was like this there is this this, there is this DNA, for lack of better words, where my right eye sees perfectly. So the one that was damaged was kind of like replicating it, And I was doing it in deep shamanistic meditation. Okay, so the one I got out of it, I didn't really think about it or talk about it, because I don't like to talk about those kind of things too much, because people think it's like, okay, you're, you're not a, you know, you're a psycho or something. But that is how it felt. And then, I kind of put it on the back burner, but six months later, I saw this discovery channel about this DNA that had these sister kind of thing. And that's Rajiv, that's exactly what it felt like. I'd never heard about it, but it was like my physical body through the spiritual self was like uh, not my brain, not my emotions, but my soul was healing my eye with this this redundant DNA, for lack of better words. And even the medical doctors – said this, like I could hear him outside outside the door talking to his assistants. And he goes, this is very, very rare. He must have like regrown some kind of rods and cones because this just doesn't happen. I'm, he says he never sees that. And he, he admitted after he didn't expect me to perhaps see but also perhaps not have the sight I do. So it was, you can talk about spiritual healing, but I think the spiritual part of that was because it replicated through the DNA. Now, that wasn't me with all the knowledge you have, which I'm in awe of. That just happened on a deeper level. So does that make sense to you? It does. So here, I'm I'm going to take a step off my
2: um, science medical hat and kind of talk about what we don't know and where this actually makes sense and fits in. So, you know, everything that we talk about, all of the knowledge we have, it's it's fascinating and it's amazing. And just in my lifetime of doing this um Um, In the last 20 years, um, our technology and our understanding has improved so much. But the important thing for all medical doctors and and anybody out there listening really is that we don't necessarily know how everything works, right? So my medical textbooks that I used when I was in medical school in the mid-90s are completely irrelevant to me today. I threw them all out because they actually have wrong information. At the time, that's what we knew and that's what we thought was the case. Now, based on technology, based on whatever, like talking about the genome, right? In, in, when the whole genome project started, it took about a year to sequence one genome, Today it takes about forty-five minutes. Oh wow! Uh, you can take you can take a s- buckle swab, send it off, and you know all these companies that send you your your lineage, whatever, right? That's what they do. You can sequence a, a whole person's <laughs> genome like in a flash. So technology has improved. We now understand things about processes that we didn't understand. We had a, a context and, and a construct of how medical things worked in '95, and in 2021, it's a completely different context because we understand it so much deeply. But what that should tell us is that what we understand in 2021 is going to be completely irrelevant in 2041 because we will understand things at a much deeper level. One of those things, one of the things that I study in the lab from a cancer perspective is something um, called epigenetics. And what that is, is the process of how DNA gets packaged, repackaged, turned on and turned off. So your DNA is your DNA. The sequences you get that you inherit from your parents are your sequences. That's not going to change. That is sort of hardwired. That's what it is. Those bricks are there. Those bricks do not change. But what changes is how do those things get used? How does that DNA get used? We know, for example, that environmental cues alter the way your DNA is turned on and off. So if I'm in extreme heat, certain genes get turned on to try to cool my body off. Um, And that's a direct result of the external environment driving myself to turn things on or turn things off. Now, can a person do that to themselves? I don't – and this is where I'm completely stepping off my medical field is, in my opinion, I don't see a reason why a person can't drive the same process because we know the process occurs. We know that external cues – drive this concept of epigenetics, drives this concept of things getting turned on and off because of extreme heat or extreme light or extreme dark or whatever it is, right? All those things alter the way our body functions because it turns genes on and off. So is there a way for us to to achieve some sort of level of consciousness, meditation as as a simple level of doing this, and actually create in our own bodies a way to turn these things on and off because we know that they respond to cues, what those cues are. Right now, we just understand the physical external cues. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't other cues that these cells wouldn't respond to. We don't know what they are. We don't know if if they are or how they work. Um, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means we don't know anything about it yet. Right.
0: Yeah, I, I totally believe that from your soul, your spiritual self, everybody. My philosophy is this. We have this illusion that we are human beings in a physical world, and we have to come to some kind of spiritual awakening process. Personally, I believe that we're spiritual beings of light, and we're having a very temporary physical, very short-lived physical experience, and so we create our physical body from our soul. So yes, we can heal it from our mind. You're a scientist. You're a doctor. I'm in awe of that. Now, but as far as like a spiritual from the soul, it is also that you can heal it from your soul, and it would move at the speed of light it's not magic. It's not anything like that. It's just that your soul, like with my eye, was using the the DNA helix and healing in that way. And I think that we can take control. But here's the thing. I think some people like their diseases. I think some people like their their darkness or their difficulties. It gets them attention or it gets them out of doing things or all sorts of excuses or whatever. So I'm not going to go into that realm. But I definitely think that the human being can heal itself. I've got one more really important question, Rajiv, and this is maybe an opinion or just your your viewpoint on this. So we are, we as human beings are constantly discovering all these things that, uh, like you said, we don't know. Nobody knows all things. When a uh, a male and a female come together and have this child, I dare say that neither one of them could totally comprehend the physical process of giving birth. Right but yet we can still do it we can still go to our our work we can still do whatever we need to do we can still procreate it's all fascinating so when you say you're discover we're discovering of course who we are because that's part of life but we're also discovering to heal so d- does it is it does it already exist does the source which is that which created us all does it all exist and it's up to us to discover it or are we creating it as we go along and assisting evolution. I mean, it might be a chicken and egg kind of thing. But, you know, in, in 1968, when I was a kid, we had black and white TV. And now that I, I, in 1972, we got our first color TV. When I was 20 years old, we had this amazing thing called a, a VCR. Now that's technology. But I believe that the human being is evolving rapidly as well. Your thoughts? And,
2: but, yeah, absolutely, no doubt about the fact that we're evolving as as we evolve. I mean, and then we can look at at that through history, right? So, the, the way we lived allowed us to do different things. I mean, you, you look at you look at homes that were built in you know, 150 years ago. The doors are all five feet or six feet tall. People were short, um, but based on our external cues, our work rate, our ability to eat, our nutrition, etc., people in the United States are now you know significantly taller. Um, So that's evolution over time. That's the genome evolving over time. It's not something that happens between today and tomorrow, but over time it changes because of the way people lived. And I think that that is the same thing that is evolving Across um, across the technologies that we use now, and I have no doubt that in 30 years, when people look back and say, "Hey, you know what? When that first you know um, um, phone uh, was developed, that 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 you could you could type a text to in somebody in in you know the early 2000s, um, people didn't have as big thumbs, and now you know 50 years later, people's thumbs are much bigger because everybody's texting or whatever, right? I mean, those kinds of things are very real, and people evolve all the time. All all organisms around us are evolving because we are changing the way. But again, we're not necessarily completely changing the, the nuts and bolts of our DNA as much as we're changing how that DNA is activated and used in a given cell. So the DNA is still there, but maybe we're using parts of DNA that we didn't used to use as much because we didn't need to, but we're using it now because now that's the new technology. So now our dexterity is different because you know, they do it. I mean, our, my kids, you know, are seven. Can can operate my my smart TV a lot better than I can. All you know, right. and and that's that's part of that whole evolution process, right? That kids just do things differently because they live, grow up in a different environment, right? They grew up in in where I grew up without TVs for the first, you know, 15 years of my life. Well, you know, now it's completely different. You have a device everywhere. So I think our environment, again, and this goes back to the fact that our environment and our environmental cues. Alter the way we function, right? And so, how we function in, in in the world is dependent on the environmental cues, and whether those are all exogenous environmental cues. And then the question really is, do we have internal environmental cues that we can maybe control or elevate or or tap into that might help us to also change um, that that we just don't know about or or that we can't access? You know. And then as a scientist, to me, I always believe that. Um, my my path has been about trying to understand how things work, but that does not mean that what I understand about how things work is the way it is. It just means that's all I know about how that is. There's another entire layer of stuff that I don't even fathom yet, right? And as I, for example, study cancer stem cells, we have a pretty good understanding of how these cancer stem cells work and these brain tumors that I work with. But that's my current level of understanding based on my ability to question those cells at this point in time. Maybe in 10 years, there's a whole new set of technologies that will allow me to gain a completely different depth of understanding that I don't know. And I think globally, as a whole human body, that's probably where we are. You know, people talk about soul, they talk about consciousness, they talk about all these different things. And, you know, scientists oftentimes will kind of laugh at that. But, you know, I look at it and say, i I don't know. And if I don't know, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means I don't know. Right. Um, and, and maybe it's there and maybe it's not. But if I don't attempt to understand if it's there or not, then I'm not a good scientist. So to me, it's like just because I don't know doesn't mean it's not there. So right. that's kind of how you know I look at it.
0: That's a great explanation. I really get that because in evolution, obviously part of evolution is the releasing of the erroneous or obsolete information or that which we thought was the mo- the model at the time. And then in its place, something evolves. And that's part of the evolutionary process. Something has to die to be born into that. Uh, We did an interview with an acupuncturist, Carol, who I've known forever, and she's talking about, she said she was, got her degree, she's studying under great masters in Chinese medicine, and she said she was, had her practice in her office for 10 years, and she still felt like she didn't know what she was doing. And then after a while, she came to the point where she said, hey, you know, it's because I'm evolving. It's not always the same. What happened in one way can be a tradition or a superstition or this. It worked at one time, but it's not going to work for another person. So I really want to express the fact that I admire you, Rajiv. And the reason I do is this, is that you are in this world and you've made a choice that you're going to help people. You're going to give back to people. And you're literally in the process of evolving as a human being, a person that heals yourself and heals those around you. The reason I admired it is this, is we're all going to die. And when you die, I don't mean to be morbid. You don't take your money. You don't take your greed. You don't take all that with you. You take the knowledge that you've been able to attain by going through what you have gone through. Now, as I look in the back of your wall there in your office, you have three amazing degrees I can see, and I maybe should have mentioned that, but that's an amazing accomplishment, and you deserve it, and you studied hard to get that. There's probably times when you're in medical school that you want to do something other than sit there and study, but you did that, and that's, that's rewarding to you. You have this beautiful wife and these two kids, and I admire that. But I do want to let our listeners know That you don't have to have those three degrees that Rajiv does on his wall to make a difference in someone's life. You can make a difference in someone's life by being kind. You can make a difference in not hurting someone. If you cannot help them, don't hurt them. Also, as far as your life matters, your life matters no matter what you are, who you are, or when you are, or whatever, what it is. Just remain now. The smallest act of kindness and love is deeply appreciated by those around you. You are a healer right now. You don't have to go to school. You don't have. To, you are a healer right now just by your kind words. Just be gentle and kind to those around you and notice the effect it will have. All right. We're almost at time here. Rajiv, do you have any other comments or thoughts?
2: Um, no. I think just from uh, my own medical hat perspective, I would just say that while um this this the world of stem cells is 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 fascinating and really i think the applications are starting to accelerate um as with anything else um there is a lot of charlatans in the in the world who kind of pass off stuff as as stem cells without very much evidence that it works or it doesn't work. And so I think as people explore these ideas and and particularly if somebody's thinking about it for themselves or or their loved ones to really be really critically thinking about what is being presented to them, because a lot of it is, is really not yet um, at the point where it makes sense.
0: I'm really glad you said that because I've had clients that have gone out of the United States and I'm not saying United States is the best in the world or whatever. I'm just saying they've gone out of the United States To get stem cell and it has had disastrous effects and it was falsely claimed and you're right they're unethical they're charlatans and you can find that in any profession medical doctors uh, stem cells psychics astrologers but it you of kind of the same way it's like use your (laughs) cognitive thinking use your your spidey sense use it if it doesn't sound good it probably isn't do some research so to speak have some faith that the divine is going to put you in the place you need to be ryan do you have any questions
1: You know what? I was just really curious about one thing and um, about stem cells. I just kind of wonder what its physical form is. Is it liquid? Um, So I was just, yeah, I was just kind of wondering.
0: Is it goo? Is it an ointment out of a tube? Is it like it
1: Physically, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a great
2: question, Ryan. I wish I could show you some pictures of of stem cells that I have from stem cells that we grow in our lab. Um, These are cancer stem cells, but nevertheless. um, Mm. the, The um, I think that the question is 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 really you you can make stem cells to be most things. Um, so they can be in a liquid form, which is how they're mostly stored and mostly grown. Is in a in a, in a like for example, when we grow them in our lab, they're grown in a, in a broth of all kinds of um, nice growth factors and sugar and and amino acids and all kinds of things that cells like help them grow. Um, so they can be in liquid form when we freeze them and store them they're in in liquid form that's frozen. Um, but you can make them you know into into gels and other kinds of things or put them into other kinds of matrices that that are not so liquidy. Um, so there's different ways of of, of, of manipulating uh, stem cells
1: okay, thank you yeah I was I, I was really curious about that one. It's a good question yes, very good question. Yeah.
0: All right, Rajiv, thank you so much for this interview. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners are going to find this one fascinating. Thank you so much. And good luck with your wife and those two adorable sons you have. And just know this, eventually they're going to be 13 years old. (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> good luck with that thanks keith <laughs> you think you're you think you're wise No, <laughs> wait till yep. you have two 13 year olds at the same time and then yes. they're gonna have two 16 year old inexperienced male drivers at the same time too. Yes, yes may all that I, which is holy be with you <laughs> trying not to think about that right now <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good luck. but you did it on purpose <laughs> all right yep. all um, right Thank you Razi for all for this interview and also everyone all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in to medicine words we hope in some way that it helped you it helped those around you we hope that you gain some words uh, from words of wisdom and the evolution remember that you are a very significant part of the human evolution yourself no matter where you find yourself right now remember that it's the now moment and you are loved that you are co-creating and Everybody starts from some place. started just like you and I. As a mother, a father, a baby, he made choices. doesn't matter how old you are, what you're doing, you can always make that future best self happen. I wish you all love and light. Ryan, where can we be contacted?
1: Yes, um, we do have an email. It's info at medicinewords.net. It's connected to our webpage, medicinewords.net. You could also um, direct message us through Instagram, Facebook, um, our handle is at MedicineWordsHeal. So, yeah, contact us, share, share, um, share on social media, and um, check out our webpage as well. Yeah, so happy, light, and love to everyone out there. And also, doctor, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I was very this, – this interview was awesome. I was very intrigued by all of it.
0: It was incredibly awesome.
2: Yes. Thank you very much, guys. It was a pleasure to, to talk to you guys. Likewise, likewise.
0: Thank you. All right. Everybody out there, always be well.